We're going to get ready for our tithes and offerings so the ushers can get ready. And yes, we did have a spruce up day yesterday, and I loved watching how everybody was working. They were joyful. And what it was is we had a vision of preparing for Easter. And for all the guests that you're going to invite, or people that are going to see the invitations and come. And like we said, everything is attached to a soul. And it made me think of um, Paul when he wrote to the Corinthians. And he said, you know, at the beginning of the week, prepare your offering in accordance with, um, your, your, with what you, your prosper. And I said, you know, what he's telling us is we got to prepare. We prepare our hearts. We prepare our offering. We prepare our tithe, which is 10% of our um, income. And we give it to God. And what the Corinthians wanted to do was what they wanted to partner with the um, growth of the new church as it was expanding in all of that area. They wanted to be part of that. And here we are years later, years and years later, we get to continue to be a part of God's church as it continues to grow. And we get to partner with them by bringing our tithes and our offerings. Now, if you're here for the first time, that's not something you have to do, so don't feel obligated. You can, but you don't have to. If you're from another church, then we understand your tithes go there. You can give an offering, but your tithes belong at your home church. But if New Hope is your home church, then we get to say to God, you know what? We want to partner with you as you continue to grow your church, as you continue to forward your good news, and as you continue to bring growth. Would you bow your heads and let's pray. Lord, thank you so much for the opportunity to be a part of your kingdom. And not only to be a part of your kingdom, but to be part of the growth and the forward motion as you continue to reach hearts and reach souls with the good news and the hope that only you can bring. Lord God, would you receive the tithes and offerings that we bring? Would you bless it and would you use it, Lord, to further your kingdom and to advance the hope that you bring? We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, today we're continuing our series, Forward Motion. And you know, we're going to talk about that passion for God. And we all have that, right? So let's take a look at this. Lord, you are everywhere, and yet at times, I'm not with you. I don't ask you. I don't thank you. I even think I can hide from you. Lord, you are everywhere, and yet I try to leave you behind. Please don't see me. Don't hear my words. I don't want you to even know the real me. Lord, you are everywhere. So even if I try to not need you, I do. I do fail. I do. But Lord, you are everywhere. Thank you for loving me. You are love. You are life. You are more than enough. You know, it's so true. We hear that word path a lot. You know, some of us say, I, Lord, I just want to be on the right path. Or we ask God, can you just show me what direction to go? Sometimes we say, God, if you just tell me what to do, then I'll do it. It's almost like we play mystery with God, that we don't know how we're supposed to live, what decision to make, and, and what direction to go. But whenever we have that kind of thought, instead of just thinking about what I can get from God or God, give me instruction, give me direction. How about we go back to what's more important than getting instruction from God? And it's actually his presence. Being in his presence. 
Now, I know for some of us, it may seem kind of almost religious. Like, what does that mean to be in God's presence? Does that mean coming to church? Does that mean I, I am at home in this, in this uh, mode or, or some type of meditation to be in His presence? What does that look like? And how do we get into God's presence? And why is that important to my life? And that's what we're going to talk about today as we're in this series, Forward Together. We're going to talk about having a passion for God's presence. Now, we all have a passion for something. You may have a passion for sports, uh, maybe certain movies or TV. I watched a movie recently. It was, uh, I think it was called The, the Greatest Showman or something like that. Uh, the Greatest Showman. So it's like a musical. I didn't know it was a musical. So, and I'm not too, you know, fond of musicals. So when they started singing, I'm thinking, why is it this kind of movie? But it was okay, and it was, it was, it was fine. It, was, it, it turned out to be okay. And, and when, I, when I think of what we have a passion for, we'll have a passion for movies. We'll have a passion for food, certain types of desserts. We'll have a passion. Everybody has a passion for something. But to have a passion for God, now that one is pretty special. In the book of Exodus, chapter 33, we're finding out that the Israelites, the people of God in whom he chose to use as an example of what our relationship would, with him would be like, we're going to find that they went through some ups and downs, and now they're at a place where they have to make a decision about God's presence. A man by the name of Moses is leading them, and they just came out of slavery in Egypt, and now they're they're out of slavery. They crossed the Red Sea. They got, remember, they were stopped at the Red Sea and then God parted the sea. Now they're on the other side. Then they're becoming a nation, so God gives them the Ten Commandments. He gives them a structure of government to learn and to grow by and to have structure as a community so they can be civilized or they can be civil with one another. At the same time, they're trying to understand this God that they're serving and as they follow their leader, Moses, they're trying to figure out how they are to be with one another in this relationship with God. So they're coming from the laws of God, the Ten Commandments, to now a different feel of a relationship with God. They're coming from obeying law, and now how do we have this relationship with God? And how does that, how does that work in our life? We have the Ten Commandments. But then we have God speaking. How, how do we work all of that out in our everyday life? And sometimes that's us. We, we, we know the word of God or we're learning about the word of God. Or when we come to church, we hear some things about God. And then now we're trying to bring the two together with what we know of God and how we feel towards God and the passion towards God. And so how do we bring this together in this thing called relationship? And that's what God is looking for. He's looking for a relationship with us. But if we have no passion for the presence of God, then it's a one-sided relationship that's taking place. It's like God trying to build a relationship with the people that don't want one. And that's what was happening with the Israelites. They didn't want this relationship with God. They didn't even know what it was supposed to look like. So they're trying to find their way, and their leader Moses is trying to help them. So I'm going to read in the book of Exodus. In fact, you can take out your notes and follow along, uh, it's the book of Exodus, or the, the chapter, the verses that I'm going to read to you is not in your notes, so I'll read it, but the notes will help you to follow along or in your bulletin. Some of you play the game of filling in the blanks and seeing if you get it correct. You should keep it 
so that at the end of the year we grade it, see who has the highest score. That would be so cool. Okay, so Exodus chapter 33, I'll read from verses 1 to about 23. And, and so this is after, you know, the Ten Commandments. And, and this is after the people, uh, remember when Moses went up to the mountain and he was meeting with God and the people got restless. And so they, they, built, it, they built a golden calf. They made their own God because they were saying, he's taking too long, let's just make our own God. So they did that. And then Moses came down and said, what are you guys doing? And then he threw the Ten Commandments down and that whole ordeal. So they're now trying to come out of that. And Moses is trying to lead them out of all of that junk that they were not focusing on God anymore. And quickly, too. So now he's trying to bring order back. So verse 1 in, verse, verse one in chapter 33, the book of Exodus. Then the Lord said to Moses, leave this place, you and the people you brought up out of Egypt. And go up to the land I promised on oath to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, saying, I will give it to your descendants. So it's almost like God is saying, this, these are the people, Moses, you brought up. I will send an angel before you and drive out the Canaanites, Amorites, Hittites, Perizzites, Hivites, and Jebusites. Go up to the land flowing with milk and honey, but I will not go with you because you are a stiff-necked people or stubborn people, obstinate people. In other words, in our local slang, you know, listen. That's what God is saying. These people, they just don't listen. And because you are a stiff-necked people, and I might destroy you along the way. So God says, I'm not going to go with you because you are a stiff-necked people, and I might destroy you along the way. When the people heard these distressing words, they began to mourn, and no one put on any ornaments. For the Lord had said to Moses, tell the Israelites, you are a stiff-necked people. If I were to go with you, even for a moment, I might destroy you. Now take off your ornaments, and I will decide what to do with you. So the Israelites stripped off their ornaments at Mount Horeb. Now Moses used to take a tent and pitch it outside the camp some distance away, calling it the tent of meeting, or we, some of us know it as the tabernacle. Anyone inquiring of the Lord would go to the tent of meeting outside the camp, and whenever Moses went out to the tent, all the people rose and stood at the entrances to their tents, watching Moses until he entered the tent. So they're standing outside of their homes. Because they were in the desert, that's, that's what their homes were, the tents. And anytime God moved or his presence moved, the pillar of fire and the cloud, anytime the presence of God moved, they would pack up and move and follow God. So now they're standing in front of their tents watching Moses uh, go to the tabernacle. As Moses went into the tent, the pillar of cloud would come down and stay at the entrance while the Lord spoke with Moses. And whenever the people saw the pillar of cloud standing at the entrance to the tent, they all stood and worshipped each at the entrance of their tent. The Lord would speak to Moses face to face as one speaks to a friend. Then Moses would return to the camp, but his young aide, Joshua, son of Nun, did not leave the tent. Moses said to the Lord, You have been telling me, lead these people, but you have not let me know whom you will send with me. You have said, I know you by name, and you have found favor with me. If you are pleased with me, then teach me your ways, so I may know you and continue to find favor with you. Remember that this nation is your people. So in other words, Moses is almost saying, wait a minute, God, don't, this is, these are not the people that I brought up. Remember, this is your people. This is your nation. This is not my people. You just told me to lead them, so this is your nation. The Lord replied, my presence will go with you, and I will give you rest. 
Then Moses said to him, if your presence does not go with us, do not send us up from here. How will anyone know that you are pleased with me and with your people unless you go with us? What else will distinguish me and your people from all the other peoples on all the other people on the face of the earth? And then the Lord said to Moses, I will do the very thing you have asked because I am pleased with you and I know you by name. Then Moses said, show me your glory. And the Lord said, I will cause all my goodness to pass in front of you and I will proclaim my proclaim my name, the Lord in your presence. I will have mercy on whom I will have mercy and I will have compassion on whom I will have compassion. But he said, you cannot see my face for no one may see me and live. So earlier on, when it says that Moses spoke to God face to face as a friend speaks to a friend, it doesn't mean the face of God. What it means is there is nothing impeding Moses and God. There was nothing between them like how when friends talk to each other, there's nothing impeding that. So Moses had that relationship with God. And then the Lord says, I will cause all my goodness to go before you. No one can see my face and live. Then the Lord said in verse 21, there is a place near me where you may stand on a rock. When my glory passes by, I will put you in the cleft in the rock and cover you with my hand until I have passed by. Then I will remove my hand and you will see my back, but my face must not be seen. By the way, this is why God sent his one and only son, Jesus Christ, so that we could relate to God because we cannot see his face. His glory is just too much for us as human beings. So God sent his one and only son, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. So God sent himself so that we could see, as it were, God in a way that we could relate to. That's why if you want to get to know God, you got to get to know Jesus. So now we're in this, Moses and the people are in this predicament. Okay, how do we go up from here? But, but at the same time, we're learning from law to relationship, and, and what does that look like? But Moses had a passion for the presence of God. He was the only one who could go into the tabernacle and stand before the presence of God on behalf of the people. And so his passion for God's presence allowed him to say, God, if your presence doesn't go with us, why should we even go? How, how are we going to be distinguished among all the other people? We need, there must be a clear distinction, lest we blend in with all of the other people and the gods they believe in. So where do we go from here? See, when you have a passion for God's presence, you don't ask God to, to bless what you're doing. What Moses was saying is, okay, God, this is what we're doing. This is how we feel. How do we do what you're blessing? That's where we want to be. You have the promised land for us, but this is, we're comfortable here. Some people want to go back to Egypt, forgetting we were slaves. So, God, instead of us saying, God, bless what we're doing, how about you change us to do what you're blessing? Because that's where we want to be. And so Moses began that switch, and he began to give that to the people, saying, guys, we got it wrong. We're saying, God, bless this and all the things that we're doing, while all the time God is saying, I'm already blessing you, but... This is where you need to be, but you're stiff-necked, you're obstinate, you're not listening. That's what Moses was expressing. And when Moses began to catch that, he's just simply saying to the people, if God doesn't go with us, why should we? we can, the promised land is, not, it, yeah, we'll be in the promised land, but if God is not with us, what good is that? See, if you have a passion for God's presence, that's great. We're going to learn even more how do we... 
How do we grow in that? And how can we be reminded of the power of his presence? And if we, we are developing this or we don't have a passion for his presence or we don't understand it yet, we're going to learn three things that happen when we're in his presence. Here's the first thing, if you want to write this in, that God's presence changes us. That's what happens. His presence changes me. And sometimes we get tired, uh, as, as human beings, we get tired of, of the, the day that goes by, work, uh, children, not tired of the children, but we get tired because we're taking, maybe you get tired of your children, but we get tired because we're doing so many things, we're trying to accomplish so much in such a short amount of time that we're tired, we're weary, and so we have no more strength, we, not just physically, but we're emotionally drained and physically drained and spiritually drained, and you'll feel it, and we'll know that we're spiritually drained and emotionally drained when we say things like, you know, I can't just, I can't do this anymore. Or I'm tired already. Or, or we say things like, I, I, I'm just drained. Or there has to be more to life. We say things like, well, uh, I hate what I do. You know, things like that. It's just we're like we're drained. And the book of Isaiah says, all of us become like one who is unclean. And all our righteousness, all our righteous acts are like filthy rags. In other words, even our best behavior is still not even good. We all shrivel up like a leaf and like the wind, our sins sweep us away. No one calls on your name or strives to lay hold of you. For you have hidden your face from us and have given us over to our sins. Yet, Lord, you are our Father. We are the clay. You are the potter. And we are all the work of your hand. In other words, what the Bible is telling us is you and I will go through those emotions, those spiritual up and ups and downs. We're going to go through those seasons, yet at the end of it, we can go to God and say, wait a minute, I, this is how I feel, this is what I'm going through, but you're the father, we're the clay. you're the potter, we're the clay. You're the father, we are your children. So mold us and shape us, because all that we are, are the work of your hand. You're doing something in our life. See, the presence of God changes us, but you decide if it's going to be for the better or for the bitter. It's our choice, but God's presence changes us. Have you ever gone to a party and, and they know you go to church or, or you're a Christian and, and because you're there, they change? When you show up, it's like, hey, Pastor Sheldon, yeah, 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 you guys behave, 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 behave. It, it comes like that. I've been at places, that even my own family sometimes, they're just about to swear, and it's like, oh, sorry, 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 sorry. I'm thinking, I'm not God. But for some reason, they relate us to God, right? It's like, oh, they go to church, shh, not talk about that and stuff. They, 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 they relate us to God, and something happens even for people who don't have a relationship with God. Why? Because there's a respect level. The presence of God changes us. It does that. And we, we, we all, I, I remember going to the plaza one time and, you know when it was going from um, uh, regular cigarettes to, what's it called, e-cigarettes or, or vape, vape, vapors, vaping, vaping. Oh, I guess, so if your children are here, you're going to have to explain this to them. But uh, you can't hide that. Uh, you can't, I mean, you, so I'm walking to the plaza, and here are some people that I know, and, and I'm walking, I see them, I say, hey, how are you doing? And they're like, <laughs> it's like, this whole little, like this, this whole exhaust system goes out like a, a furnace, just, Wah! 
And then I'm like, you don't need to hide that. Like, because that's, I, what, am, what am I going to do? Like, oh, what's, oh, what's wrong with you? What am I going to do? But for some reason, it, it, bec- it becomes like, oh, I don't want the pastor to know. It doesn't matter if I know. God does. So it doesn't, you know, it doesn't, it doesn't really matter. But, it, but something happens, right? When we know that God knows there's, like, guilt comes over. But, but really what we, what we got to remember is that guilt is not of God. Guilt is actually of the enemy. You can stand before God just as you are. His presence changes us. That, that feeling we have when we see one another or we feel like we have to behave in front of each other, it's not for, for performance sake. If there's something in our spirit that says something's changing in me right now in an instant in front of these people. Why is that there? Because the presence of God changes us. It's a little indication that God wants to be in your life. It's a little indication that says there is a future and a hope that God has for you. Because we have that in us that says, I got to change. I want to be different. And God says, yeah, that's me trying to mold you and shape you. Yet, if you're stubborn and stiff-necked, then I might destroy you along the way. See, when we pray and we invite the Lord's presence, when we read his word, when we worship him, we change. Some of us sometimes will say, and I've said this before, God, I don't want to worship you because I'm mad right now. Heidi never buy me on smoothie and I'm mad. My breakfast is cold, I'm mad. The cereal is soggy, I'm mad. Little things make us mad. So we say, I don't, want, I, don't, I don't feel like singing to you. But that's not what worship is. Worship is not a feeling. Worship is something we know we need to do. We worship God because he's worthy, because he deserves our very best. Our feelings will catch up later. So if you don't feel like worshiping God or singing to him or praying to him, that's probably the best time to pray and sing to him because he's changing us. He's doing something in us. And God's instruction to Moses was, I will not go with you because you are a stiff-necked people and I might destroy you along the way. He said this because we change in his presence. And if we're not, re- if we're not willing to change and we're refusing to change, it'll destroy us. It'll break us. Have you ever tried to make a two-year-old sit down? Like, sit down, sit down, and you're trying to buckle their legs. Sit down, sit down. You're trying to fold them. It's like pushing buttons on your stroller to fold them, and they're not folding. And you're trying to, like, clean them out. It's like, sit down. And they're like, I don't want to sit down. Sit down. And then we say these words as parents so lovingly. Sit down, or I will will kill you. Whoa. (laughs) That's kind of deep. Uh, Ah. Let's, let's, let's work on some parenting skills here, guys. Okay, let's, let's, uh, let's rewind the tape. It's like, your kids must be disciplined. It's like, sit down, I'm going to kill you. Uh, I've said this before that sit down, sit down or I'll break your legs. Like, I said that to my kids. I've said that. Like, what comes out of us as parents? Well, certain things come out of us, even in church, that, like, this is, what, this is how we think. But you know that inside of us is there because that's kind of what God was saying. He was saying, because you're not listening, there's a reason why I'm telling you to sit down. There's a reason why I'm telling you to do these things. And if you refuse to do this, it'll destroy you. So when God speaks this to us, he's not just doing it because he's trying to ruin the fun. He has a reason and a purpose behind it because his presence changes us. There's a second thing that happens, that God's presence strengthens us. And I'm so glad that it is his presence that strengthens us. 
It's his, it's his presence that comes into our lives that no matter where we are, as difficult as it may be, he strengthens us. It's hard to explain because it's not a strength that we get from one another. It's not some type of pill we take or, or something that we learn as from a book, as it were. But it's his presence that strengthens us. Moses knew that without the presence of the Lord, even at his strongest, he would still be too weak to lead God's people. But if the presence of God was there, even at his weakest, he is strong enough to lead. Because it's about God's presence. We have so much to accomplish in this life. More than we could ever imagine. The potential that God sees in you and I is too much for us to bear. Too much for us to tackle and do on our own. So God says, you're going to need my presence. And that's what he was saying to Moses. I'm going to take you into the promised land. Therefore, you're going to need my presence because you're going to have to take over. And there's some dreams that are in your hearts that you're going to need me for because the dream is just too big for you. See, when the presence of God is there, it strengthens you. It's, it's kind of like, you know when certain people are around? Let's just say you play sports. When mom or dad is there or someone cheering you on, like you have just, just an inner strength that, that your, your practice time and your physical body doesn't have. It's just because someone's watching. I played uh, high school football, and I didn't take it seriously. I, I, I played because my friends played, and so we'd have practice. I didn't take it seriously. And then game time, it was, okay, it's game time. But when I would go in to play, I could feel the, the results of not practicing and not listening. But there's this one game. Now, I went to Kailo High School on Oahu, and Heidi went to Kalaheo High School. So we're in the same division. So now we're playing their school, Kalaheo, and this is Kailua. So we're playing the game, and Heidi says, um, oh, I'm going to come and watch. I was like, come and watch? Because her school was playing, right? Us, they're, they're playing each other. So I was thinking, oh, she, she's going to watch. Oh, I, better, I better wash my uniform. I better, I better clean up my gear. I better, I, oh, I, everything changed in me. I thought, oh, I better play good. What if I play junk? And she'd be like, oh, you junk, yeah? So I was thinking, how do I, so while we are playing, I, like my mindset, I was focused. And I was focused not because I, I love the game. I focused because my girlfriend was watching. And that is the only game out of all the games I scored a touchdown. And for me, that's the only one that matters. I could care less about any other ones. I could fumble the ball, and I, the, the main one was the one Heidi was at because that was my girlfriend. And if my girlfriend saw me score a touchdown, to me, that's deep. So I was like, yeah. And you know how you play it off, you score a touchdown, you're kind of walking, you're high-fiving your friends, and side-eye, you're trying to look for her. It's like, she saw that? Oh, she's getting snacks. Where's she staying? <laughs> she don't stay. Where's she staying? So, but I, I felt that because of her presence. And that's kind of the same with God. Because of his presence, you, you just want to please him. You, wanna, you, you want to, as we say in a Christianese way, you want to glorify God with your life. Because he's watching. And God doesn't watch. This is how I thought God used to watch us. That he watches me so that when I make a mistake, he says, see? But he watches us because he's applauding us. He's saying, you my girl, you my boy, you got it. Yeah, way to go. But God, I did this. I, yeah, I know. <laughs> but here's where I'm taking you. We're going into the promised land. You're no longer a slave to your sin. You're free from that. You've already crossed the Red Sea. You're now in a better place. You're going into the promised land. There are better things to look forward to. That's what God does. 
He cheers us on. It's his presence that strengthens us. So if you ever feel like you're drained or you, you, you feel like it's not, life is not worth living for, or your family is falling apart, go back to the presence of God. Because it's his presence that strengthens us. That's where we want to be. God even said to Moses, I will send my angel before you. It's like he's encouraging Moses. He's saying, okay, yeah, you're going to go, but I'm going to send my angel before you. So my angel is also going to do battle before you. See, God strengthens us. He encourages us. When God said, I will not go with you, with you because you are a stiff-necked people and I might destroy you along the way, he wasn't saying, Moses, you're on your own. He wasn't saying, I don't want to go with you. He was saying, because you're stiff-necked, because you're stubborn and obstinate, it's going to destroy you along the way. Therefore, I'm not going to go with you because it will destroy you along the way. God is so concerned about your life and my life that he doesn't want it destroyed. He came to give us life and life abundantly. The enemy comes to steal, kill, and destroy. And God says, I, I want to go with you, but because you're stubborn and stiff-necked, I might destroy you along the way. I'm trying to help you and mold you and shape you, but because of you, you, that you're unwilling, it'll break you. It'll destroy you. So cooperate with me. Imagine how emotional they were. So much so that they said, we're not going to have any ornamentations on us. We're not gonna. And the ornaments that they would wear had significance. It showed rank. It showed authority. It showed that they were joyful. It showed, it's kind of like women, right? You accessorize. So, and when you see each other, it's like, oh, I love those earrings. I love, the, I love your purse. Oh, nice shoes. Guys, when we see each other, it's like, oh, what's up? Oh, ho, that's it. But you, 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 you dress up because you're going somewhere. It says something about you. Have you ever had days as women, you're like, I don't even like put on makeup today. That's how bad they felt. <laughs> They're saying, we don't even want to get dressed. If, they were saying, why put on all of these ornamentations to show rank and status and, 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 and my authority if God is not even there? And so they took off all of their ornaments because it didn't even matter. All of those ornaments was an expression outwardly of what God was doing on the inside. So when God says, well, I'm not going to go with you for the people... They mourned, and they looked at all of their things that was reputation, rank, and all of these things that showed how good they were. And they began to learn that it wasn't about how good they were and how they prospered and how much they had and, and who was better then. They came back to the presence of God, and they began to understand that it was this relationship with God that was the bigger issue the garments and ornaments, and it had significance of the divine. And so when God says, I'm not going to go with you, they were devoid of the divine. So nothing else mattered. And they were, willing, they were willing to say, you know what? If the presence of God is not with us, then our passion for anything else has no meaning. God, if your presence is not with us, then no sense go. There's no passion for anything else. In the book of Psalms, chapter 59, verse 17, the Bible tells us that you are my strength. I sing praise to you. God, you are my fortress, my God on whom I can rely. That's what God does. He gives us strength. We can rely on him. So when the people stripped off all the ornaments, they just wore the essentials. 
which in turn gave them no way of showing their rank or status or significance or reputation or authority. In other words, they understood that it was never about them. It was about the presence of God. God was teaching them that relationship was far more valuable than reputation. And so he was wanting them to understand that he'd rather be with them in their imperfections than for them to try and live a perfect life without him. He was talking to them about a relationship. He's establishing a relationship, and they couldn't catch that. I, I love going to this one place for ice cream. It's called Hawaiian Brain Freeze. And I love going there. One, first of all, I love ice cream, but they're just great people there. They, they serve well, and, and they have good ice cream, and, and that's one of my favorite foods. So when I go to desserts, that's a food. So when I go there... Uh, I, I like being there, and, and, and there are times where some of my friends are, maybe they're busy, they went to lunch or something, and, and I'll let Heidi know, and she goes, so you didn't go to Hawaiian Brain Freeze? I said, no, I, I didn't go. She goes, why didn't you? I thought you were going to go. I said, no, so-and-so couldn't, this person couldn't. She said, so you didn't go? Why didn't you just go? You can go by yourself. And I thought about that. I, I thought to myself, why don't I get ice cream by myself? And I realized that it's not the ice cream that I truly enjoy, although I do, I, I enjoy it with people. I like being around people. So to have something as great as ice cream is, to me, there's no meaning if people aren't there. And what God was saying is that the things you enjoy, and he's saying this to Moses, and Moses is saying this to God, as much as we enjoy these things, if your presence doesn't go, there's no meaning. There's, who can we enjoy it with? How will the people distinguish us? There's no, there's no enjoyment or fulfillment because you're not there, God. So Moses, as he's battling with this, understands that it's so much more than just the presence of God. It's this relationship that God wants to have with all of us. I love going to Disneyland, but if Heidi is not there, no sense see Mickey. <laughs> I mean, there's no, there's no joy there. It's the people that we're with, and God says, you know what, I, I, I want to be with you. Because you can, you can go about life on your own. You, you can go by yourself. But who do you, how do you even enjoy life with, without God? That's what this series is. It's, it's forward together. Life is great. It's a gift. But the relationship with God that he gives to us is much more important. And that's what Moses was saying to the Lord. And I'm sure that's what God was teaching Moses and the Israelites. He was saying, guys, your relationship with me is far more valuable than the promised land. Because here's the last thing. God's presence will direct us. It'll direct us. Not only does it strengthen us, but it directs us. God's presence directs us. And he gives us direction, clear direction, because he knows where we're, we are to end up. But not only where to end up, it's who to end up with. We, he wants us to be with him. So wherever we are and wherever we have come from in life, start today with the presence of God. And it doesn't have to be in a specific setting because God's presence is everywhere. You know, with our, and some people say this, um, why do I need to go to church? God's presence is everywhere. I understand that. But this is what we're teaching even with our, our Mighty Marvels. With our children's ministry, we're calling their, their rooms, their wings, headquarters. So our baby marvels, which is a nursery, that's their headquarters. 
are Mini Marvels, which is the two to five-year-olds, that's their headquarters. The Mighty Marvels, which is the first to fifth graders, that's their headquarters. So you can go anywhere in the world and be in the presence of God. But there's only one place, which is their headquarters, that they get encouragement from one another. As people of God, this is where we find encouragement. That's why the Bible says, do not give up the habit of meeting together, but encourage one another as you see the day approaching. This is where we find encouragement. So when people say, I don't need to go to church because God is everywhere. Absolutely. But I don't come to church only for the presence of God. I come to church because of you. I love seeing you. I love being with you. This is why I like being here. I like my brothers and sisters. We get to encourage one another. We get to strengthen one another. And so what God says is, yes, my, my presence is everywhere, and my presence will direct you. And so when God says, I'm going to show you a place to go, a, a land flowing with milk and honey, he gave them the vision. And he also gave us instruction in how to get there. If you don't know where you're going, instructions are very good. I recently came back from Los Angeles. I had some meetings up there. So I, I flew up there, and because of the flight time from morning till I got there in the early afternoon, I was super hungry. So I checked into the hotel, and then I, I'm craving for, <laughs> this is so great. I wanted ice cream. So before I eat my meal, I have to think what I'm going to eat. So while I'm thinking, I can snack on ice cream. So I'm looking for an ice cream place. So I type in, you know, on Google, that app, you can type in, like, ice cream. And then it'll show you where to go. Well, there was an ice cream place, like, half a mile away. It's a 10-minute walk. So I said, oh, perfect. And it's in a food court area, so I can eat dinner there too. So I punched that in, and so it says half a mile. So I said, okay, start. So I start walking, and I'm walking in LA, and I'm uh, following, you know, turn right here, turn on this road. So it's directing me, and I'm walking about 10 minutes, and I'm looking, I'm thinking, wow, I'm not even halfway there. So I keep walking, and following it, I have to go through this tunnel where all the cars are going through. So I'm, I'm walking through there. And then I'm walking down the street. And I'm thinking, this is not half a mile. 33 minutes later, I find it. So finally I get there. I order my ice cream. I get my food. And then now i got to uh, find my way back to the hotel. So I punch in the hotel coordinates. And I see it. I'm like, half a mile? Why is it 30? Why did it take me 33 minutes? It says it should be 10 minutes. Oh, I hit car. Uh, so the directions was on if you wanted to drive there. And because they had construction and all of that, they took me to a, a longer route. It was still a half a mile, but it took me forever. And I looked up, and it's right across the block. That's where my hotel was. I'm thinking, I could have just gone up this straight, straight away. But I punched in the wrong, or I hit the wrong directions, and I thought, it, take, it took me a lot longer to get to the place where I needed to go because I didn't have the right directions. It just took me a lot longer. I still arrived there, which is what happened to the Israelites. It took them 40 years wandering in the desert because they were stubborn. God says, I've given you all the instructions you need. You can find your way. I will direct you, but my presence needs to be with you. Otherwise, I might destroy you along the way. And when God said that, I might destroy you along the way, it's like God saying, it, where I need you to take you, a, a land flowing with milk and honey in your life, it's only 0.5 miles away. It's that short. But because of your lack of receiving my direction, 
it might take you a lot longer. But here's the heart of Moses. In verse 15 and 16, he says, Lord, if your presence does not go with us, then do not send us up from here. And this is the reason, because Moses wanted God to be their identity, not them being a great nation or overtaking people. Moses wanted God to be their identity. He said, how will anyone know that you are pleased with me and, that, uh, and with your people unless you go with us? What else will distinguish me and your people from all the other people on the face of this earth? Moses had a passion for God's presence because he was more concerned about the glory of God than his own reputation. In other words, Moses was saying, God, I'd rather fail with you than succeed on my own. I'd rather have some pitfalls with you than, than live life without you and succeed on my own. Because failure with God is greater than any of our successes without Him. Any failure with God is actually more successful than our success without Him. That's what Moses was saying. Proverbs 16.9 says that the, man, the mind of man plans his way, but the Lord directs his step. I'm so thankful that we have a God that directs our steps, even though we may get lost from time to time. But he is with us. It is all about his presence. So how about today we start with his presence and say, God, I invite your presence in my life, and I want to be a part of your presence. I want to be where you are. So, Lord, I want to do what you're blessing, not bless what I'm doing. Amen? Amen. Close your Bibles. Put away your notes. And we're going to pray together. Would you bow your heads with me as we, as we conclude and just pray to God. Heavenly Father, we're, we're so thankful for your presence, that it, it is your presence that, that changes everything. You, you change us, you, you shape us, you strengthen us, you direct us, and it, it is all about your presence. You're a good Father who leads your children. And so today, Lord, is, is a day, it's a brand new day, that we ask that you would renew our hearts, that you would give us fresh vision, fresh revelation, so that we would follow your presence. That we won't be people who are so concerned about our reputation that we forget about our relationship with you. Your concern, Lord, is going forward together. So much so that you would love us enough to say, if my presence goes with you and you're stiff-necked and stubborn, it might destroy you along the way. Therefore, I'd rather not. But really your heart is that you would rather be for us to be with you and our imperfections than for you just to be perfect in heaven without us. And this is why you sent Jesus. Lord Jesus, thank you for dying for our sins, for, for your grace and with all of our imperfections, you still accept us. You accept us just as we are, and you love us so much that you're willing to help us change into the person you see us to be. We all have a past. We all have some flaws, but we'd rather fail with you than to succeed without you. You have promises for us, Lord, and it's always about your presence. So help us today to have a passion for your presence. In Jesus' name we pray, and we all said together, amen. Isn't God a good father? He's so good to us so thankful 
And even though we might have our, you know, our flaws and things, God is so good that he works with us through them all.